Welcome to News in Context. I'm Gina Valeria. In this episode, we take a deeper look at California's fire outlook in 2021 and moving forward. Over the past few years, massive wildfires have torn across parts of California, wiping out homes, businesses, and entire towns and communities. Our fire season keeps getting longer and longer, meaning firefighters, communities, and the vegetation have less time to recover. In 2020, wildfires burned 4.2 million acres in the state, a record. And in 2021, weather models indicate that the greatest fire risk may come earlier than usual. My guest is Lynn Tolmachoff, Supervising Deputy State Fire Marshal for the California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection, or CAL FIRE. going on right this moment? What's our situation with California and fire season? You know, I'm sure a lot of people have already heard we're, we're back into drought conditions again. Um, and it just seems like every few years we end up back into a severe drought. And, you know, that's a struggle for us because it just makes it more ripe to burn out there when everything's dry. Uh, and then, of course, struggling to get water sometimes occurs too. You reach that point depending on how long the drought persists. So, uh, definitely those challenges going on. And of course, you know, this year we're, we're ramping up early again, just because we haven't seen that rain come in. Even after last year being such a devastating year, you know, this year we're already ahead of last year. Yeah, this year we're already ahead of last year. So what exactly does that mean? Last year, where were we at this, at this point in time? So last year we had probably about 1,100 fires. We'd only burned about mm, 1,600 acres or so. Um, and currently this year we're at 1,800 fires. Uh, over 9,000 acres. So we're, we're definitely well ahead of last year for Cal Fire. Wow. Just to kind of contextualize things a bit, I, and, and those terms new normal and this and that, I, I don't necessarily want to go there, but what exactly is the reality of California versus what we expect it to be fire and weather-wise? Yeah, it's funny that new normal term is is interesting because it's not new anymore. It is normal. It's, it's our life. And like I said, the, the droughts just keep coming around, you know, every few years, it makes it harder and harder every year for the, the vegetation, the fuels to recover out there, which makes it easier for wildfires to start. The other thing a lot of people don't ever really talk a whole lot about is the fact that the state of California, the population here has grown tremendously, probably in the last few decades, you know, it's at least doubled in probably the, what, the past 30, 40 years. So more people, more opportunity for fires to spark. Whether it's somebody that actually starts the fire or if it's just the infrastructure or just the fact of living here that has caused a fire, um, you know, by lifestyle or, or whatever happens, it's definitely lots of changes. And now this is just the way things are here in California. Yeah. And the way things are is what? It's it's we're going to be in drought in a cycle. We're going to get some rain. So it's never going to be a steady has it ever been steady? Probably not, unless you want to call maybe 10 years steady. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, honestly, I can tell you, um, I've been with Cal Fire for over 20 years. The last time we had a significant year of rainfall that was memorable enough to have a, what we would call a, a pretty slow season was probably 2010. Wow. Um, so we're looking over 11 years ago. And then we had the drought kick in uh, not long after that. We got a little bit of rain, and then we started seeing these huge fires, uh, these mega fires, especially last year. One of the other things they started doing the public safety power shutoffs when we started having wind events, 
Uh, and that definitely helped. I mean, 2019, uh, they shut the power off so many times when we had these wind events. And yes, our fire counts were down for sure. We still had some large fires. We still, unfortunately, destroyed homes and that sort of thing. But I mean, ultimately, it was quiet. And then last year, uh, it wasn't the power lines. It was lightning. So it was Mother Nature kind of coming in and, and throwing a new one at us, you know, seeing 13,000 lightning strikes, which is something that's not that's not normal here in California. It's just not something you see. So, yeah. right. I remember that night. I'm in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And I remember looking out my window because I was I happened to be up all night that night because I was recording lectures for classes. And oh, uh-huh. I, it, it was just one of those things where I just happened to stay up all night to try to get some stuff done. And I remember going to the window and watching from San Francisco, just lightning, which obviously is doesn't occur or, Mm -hmm. you know, not in my memory. And so that was stunning. And yes, obviously led to this very serious fire season. I can imagine sitting in San Francisco, just how spectacular it looked over the water. And unfortunately, once that that rolled in off the water, it was just game on for, you know, fire starting. There were so many fires and they all grew together and just became these huge complexes and the 4 million plus acres that burned. Unbelievable. 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 You know, you mentioned the complex fires, which are, I'm wondering if you can go over the terminology. When you refer to fires, um, what should people understand about the terms that are used? Yeah. So when we talk about a complex fire, um, generally what that is, is it's not just one single fire. It's a bunch of smaller fires in an area close enough that they can use the crews that are there battling the fire uh, for all of these smaller fires and they just group it together and they call it a complex. So the Santa Clara complex basically was the entire county of Santa Clara that saw all of their fires. But, you know, when your resources are drawn down so much, they put them into a complex. They have one person uh, being the incident commander, managing everything with all of his folks working under him. So putting them in the complex is easier. The Forest Service does it quite a bit. You probably don't hear them quite as much because the, the Forest Service fires tend to be in much more rural areas, but they use those pretty much every year when they see the lightning strikes up in the, the northern parts of California. Now, you mentioned that California's population has grown clearly in, in the past several decades. And one thing that really stood out to me was, uh, so I have in-laws in Santa Rosa. We were up there where all the fires tore mm-hmm. through. And the map that came out of, I believe it was the Fountain Grove area, mm-hmm. and that there was a fire in 64 yes. that mapped out very similarly to this fire. So it's not as if we don't understand fire behavior with the land. Right. So I want to, can you talk a little bit about uh, how Cal Fire or how fire experts look at the land and the fire and the vegetation and the and, and, and how you sort of maybe plan for what you think you're going to see in a given season? Yeah, definitely. Because in areas like you're speaking of Santa Rosa, uh, Sonoma County, Napa County, Lake County, the topography there and the way the wind funnels through the mountain passes and the range there, we kind of know exactly what a fire is going to do if it starts um, based on the time it starts, uh, where it starts, the weather conditions at that point, and what the weather has been like for the year, whether or not we've seen rain or if we're very drought. So we kind of have an idea what the fire is going to do, sometimes especially in very windy conditions. Unfortunately, we know there's not a whole lot we can do. We just uh, you know, put forth our efforts of getting people out of the, the fire's way and getting them out of harm, unfortunately, uh, which is a lot of what happened back in 2018 and it happened again last year. So yeah, we learned something new pretty much from every fire. Just when we think we've got it down and we know exactly what a fire is going to do, it'll do something different. Sometimes it's predictable and sometimes it's not. But for the most part, we do understand the wine region over there. We understand that area and how the fires tend to burn in that area because they do, they repeat themselves. Is there anything specific you can share about 
what you know about that region, the wine country region, the Northern California region in general, or or even even the Bay Area on the peninsula, or, or how it might be different? The way the topography lies in that region, the way it lines up with the wind events that come through the area, uh, any winds we get out of the north, if you look at the topography map, you'll just see these lines just going you know straight down the valleys. And that's exactly where the wind funnels in. And if you get a fire starting in there, it's going to run very, very quickly through there. And unfortunately, that's where there's a lot of houses. There's a lot of wineries, a lot of agriculture in that area. So it's very challenging. And people get upset when the PG&E and, and the power company started in the power safety shutoffs. But I will say, ultimately, I believe that that has been a benefit to saving lives and, and stopping fires from happening. It hasn't been perfect by any means, but it's definitely helped. You know, I, I think you do to understand why people are upset uh, shouldn't pg e have had a better solution at this point. So it really was like, this is the best we can do with what we've got. Um, but hoping that they, uh, like, and, and I guess that's another question I have for you. How closely is CAL FIRE working with a pg e or a SoCal Edison or or, uh, or the, the power companies in the state to make plans to change the way things go down in a drought or the way the season might go in, in a situation like this? I actually work in the division that has a group in it that works with the wildfire mitigation um, group and they work directly with the power companies, particularly a lot with PG&E because PG&E is obviously the largest in the state of California, but also SoCal Edison and the others down in the Southern region. So yeah, we, we definitely work closely with them. So when we start seeing the wind events or we start having problems or we see issues, um, they have meetings, we get together, uh, we're there in their, their command centers as they call them to work with them closely to understand what's going on and what, what our needs are, what we're seeing happening and um, you know just strategize it works best for everybody in the best way we possibly can. As far as, yeah, the infrastructure, when you look at uh, the campfire and the PG&E infrastructure that was the root cause of that fire, you know, when it's 100 years old, uh, yeah, it's that's probably a little old. It probably needs to, to be replaced for sure. I know a lot of people talk about also putting stuff underground. I think that'd be very hard to do in California, at least you know, not very quickly. Uh, it would take many, many, many years to do that, but um, definitely needs a lot of work done on it. And PG&E has been trying to get it done. When we think about these events, and I also think about several months ago, I did a program on the cultural fire management and the and the indigenous approach to fire. And I'm curious, you know, I mean, we've gotten ourselves into this mess and CAL FIRE has to respond to it, you know, and, and people have to live through it. But we also know that there have been solutions in the past that have maybe worked better. We work with the Bureau of Indian Affairs, the tribes. We have learned a lot from them. We do understand that fire is, it's necessary and it's healthy for the forests and the landscape of California. Our biggest challenges with making sure we get enough of that completed is in the fact that the best times to burn are also some of the worst times to burn. We have a certain schedule we have to follow, a certain um, prescription, as we would call it, to make sure that everything's in its levels where it needs to be, temperature, wind, the fuels, um, the number of personnel, the topography, we have to have everything exact so we don't start a fire that we didn't mean to start. You know, we want it to be a good one. And we have learned definitely from um, people all around the state, whether it's a forester or somebody from the Bureau of Indian Affairs or tribe members, it's exactly what the best thing to do is. And, and they do try to do a lot of prescribed burning and we do training with them. We train them how to do it so they can do their own burns uh, when time's right. Just because I, I know that there are people who are listening who might care. We talked about the topography of the North Bay region. What about uh, the topography of the peninsula down into Santa Cruz? 
and that area in Santa Clara. What about that is different and um, how does fire behave there? How do you respond to and manage that area? Yeah, so the topography changes just a little bit down in that area, especially once you've crossed the the delta uh, into the other side. But we still have the passes where you'll see um, the annual grasses that grow and they look beautifully green in the springtime. And then all of a sudden they die off their ugly brown and they are ripe to burn. And it's interesting because you get the highways that run through there and you'll get a car fire or you'll get a car accident and that'll spark a wildfire. Um, just simple things. So yeah, it, it's definitely got its its problems. When you get further, even further south down in the Santa Cruz area, Big Sur, you know, down in those areas, the topography once again becomes extreme. It's, you know, up and down. It's it's massive mountains in some places. And when fires start in there, like we've had in the past, they tend to get pretty big, um, especially if they've been in drought. And when you see those areas in drought, that's not a good thing because they're right on the water. They're right on the coastline and they tend to stay cooler and, and wetter. <laughs> the marine layer rolls in, you know, and it sits over there and it keeps everything moist and we just don't see fires. But uh, you know, a few years ago, we saw the Soberanus fire, which became one of the largest fires in California. So uh, it does happen. And we're seeing more and more of that climate effect throughout the state. Yeah. And that was actually something I wanted to dive into more as well is the effects of climate change. And what are you seeing from Cal Fire via climate? I mean, you know, we're seeing drought occur more regularly. We're seeing weather patterns shift. The marine layer, which we've always been able to rely on, suddenly it's not necessarily always there. I'd love to hear from you a little bit about, because you're out there with the weather and the climate, how is CAL FIRE processing the climate change and what are you seeing? It's definitely changed. You see it happening um, every year. I've seen it happening. Even since I started, you know, 20 years ago, we would bring on seasonal firefighters and they would be on for maybe five, six months out of the year. Um, and then they get laid off because we would slow down on fires and we wouldn't have a need for them. These past few years, we bring the firefighters on, we can have them on for nine months and then we have to lay them off. They are on for nine months, they are laid off for three months and they're right back at it. That is how our staffing's going and the fire activity is going. These guys don't get a break. The only reason we give them that three month break is just because it's the way it's written in their job description or their job uh, requirements. So if, if you didn't have to do that, you, they would be full-time year-round employees? Yeah. Absolutely. We would have full-time year-round seasonal firefighters. So, and that's actually something they're working on changing just because of that. We're, we're seeing more activity. Uh, we've seen uh, our staffing increase greatly, working with uh, the governor and the governor's office and the governor's staff on getting us the people, for example, aircraft. Uh, we've got the, the Firehawks, the Sikorsky Firehawks um, are coming in. The C-130s are being retrofitted that were basically given to us to use for firefighting and added to our fleet of aircraft. And even though we're adding all that, it just some days it doesn't seem like it's enough. Um, and we're still seeing fires that we struggle to control and contain because of the size and, and just the, the weather effects on them. So things have definitely, definitely changed. I've seen it happening and I don't see it getting a whole lot better, but we are trying our best um, to get things to improve. You're listening to News in Context. I'm Gina Valeria. We're talking about fire in California with Cal Fire Supervising Deputy State Fire Marshal Lynn Tolmachoff. You mentioned the C-130s. What other equipment, and, and I do know that at the state level, the governor and, and the legislature have been trying to put resources toward this. Uh, the inmate firefighters, the shift last year to allow them to actually apply to be firefighters when they are released from prison. That was big news. What, what other sort of uh, personnel resources and equipment do you think would be helpful to your efforts? Yeah, I... Yeah. Probably everything. Um, <laughs> it, 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 like I said, it feels like sometimes you don't have enough and that sometimes you get so much that it's just overwhelming. 
you know, flying aircraft safely over fire can be a struggle sometimes if you have too many aircraft um, and not enough tactical resources to help direct them and keep them safe. Um, so little things like that. The hand crews is, is a big, big problem just because of the loss of a lot of the inmates um, that we're seeing with the changes in the um, correctional system in the, you know, early release type program. So we're seeing a huge loss in the inmate hand crews, which are such a valuable resource, not only during fire season, but also during what little off season we might have that they go out and they help with doing uh, fuel break buildings and helping with, you know, construction of, of fire lines and that kind of thing. So um, that's been a huge loss. And we're trying to find a way to work around that by the inmate program for when the guys get out of prison, that they have a chance to, to come work for us um, or any other fire department. And then uh, working with the younger generation kids uh, through the California Conservation Corps. Um, and then we're also hiring uh, seasonal firefighter hand crews. So we're we're trying to make up for some of the losses that we're seeing and doing the best we can with that. Yeah, I hear you. What is it actually like if you're fighting a fire and you're there in the, a wildland fire specifically? Can you talk a little bit about what that experience is like for a firefighter? So it kind of depends on on exactly where the fire is at. Sometimes we'll see a fire in a flatter grassland type um, thing such as in the valley and and they can actually drive the engine and walk along and put the fire out by walking alongside it and getting water on it those are kind of the easier more simple fires unless of course there's wind on them and then that's just a whole different story um, and then we'll see the more devastating ones such as the campfire or the north fire um, both of those occurred up in butte county and to see those come through a canyon and come up at you at just this raging fireball is is it's something you can't describe um, driving through something like the campfire when everything was burning in the town of paradise. And you know, it's perfect daylight out there. You know, it's 10 o'clock in the morning and there's sun shining. Um, but you wouldn't know that because there's so much thick black smoke that it looks like midnight. So it's definitely a weird feeling. You, you know, you're driving down the road uh, in your, in your vehicle or the fire engine, and you feel that heat coming through the windows and through the doors. Um, and you feel like, you feel like how's this thing still running is how is it not just catching on fire rolling down the road um some of the heat that's put out by those fires is tremendous so it's uh it's a definitely a different animal than going to say a structure fire or you know a, a vehicle fire i've heard that wildland fires can create their own weather patterns yeah they do they do for sure between the heat uh mixing with the rest of the the environment uh just the weather patterns in the air they'll create People have coined it uh, fire natos, but a, a tornado basically. It's it's spinning hot air and gases um, that go through a fire and actually do damage just like a regular tornado would, um, just in the burn area. I've seen um, large diameter timber trees just ripped up and torn to shreds from something like that. So, yeah. Is there anything you'd be willing to share from your own personal experience of fighting a fire? Um, I don't know, something that was momentous to you or memorable or uh, something that that stayed with you that, you that you're willing to share? Some of the most, you'll go up to a house and you will see the house completely leveled on the ground from the fire. You know, the fire's just destroyed this home. And yet out in the front yard, you'll see like this little plastic garden gnome that wasn't even touched. Uh, you know, nothing's happened to it. Their, or their mailbox is still standing and you're like, why, why, you know, why did it, why did it just burn down the mailbox and not the house? Um, or you'll see an animal that actually survived the fire. Um, 
we see plenty that don't, but when you do see those that do and you're like, holy cow, where were you? How did you survive? What did, how did you protect yourself? You know, you'll see wild animals that way and you'll see domesticated animals that way. So that's just another thing. And it's, it's always that, even though you see it a lot, you still have that moment where you're like, wow, <laughs> you know, it's just something unbelievable. Yeah. I imagine there are a lot of awe, awe inspiring moments Yes, in, in this job. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. How does CAL FIRE or other fire agencies, how do you assess in the, in the middle of a fire, how to respond to say a neighborhood. So I, I asked this question because a friend of mine has a house up in Ta- in the Tahoe area and they've done the clearing, they've done the fire mitigation. Their fire official told them, oh, well, this is good. We've, we know it and yours is a house we'll try to save because we know we have a shot, but there are houses who don't do it and we feel like we won't have a shot at those. And so I'm, when you walk into a fire and there are houses to save and there are people to, how do you determine what to do in that situation? You know, that's one of the things people think that we have a fire engine for every house um, on every wildland fire we go to, but we don't, it's just, it, it's impossible. Um, you know, unless we're in a really rural area where there's only, you know, 10 houses, we might have one for each house. Um, so we do, we have to kind of pick and choose what houses um, based on the number of engines we have, what houses we can actually most likely successfully defend. And we base it on a lot of factors and, and defensible space and clearing and, and people that have done their job around their house um, is definitely um, a big thing for us. That's what we look for. Um, and then also, you know, sometimes how the house is built, the, the way that the structure of the house, um, any other stuff around it, how it sits on the land and the topography. If it sits in what we call the draw of a of a canyon, um, you know, if a fire comes raging up there, it's not probably not a whole lot we can do. So um, it's just simple things like that, and that's why we hope that people take heed and actually do do their defensible space and get their houses prepared as they possibly can, and then we'll come in. Um, with our equipment and do our best to defend your home against the fire. What causes fires? What what exactly is the, what causes all these fires? The number one cause of the fires is escape control burns or escape debris burns. So people that are trying to do their dooryard burns, yes. Those are the most, of when you look at the number of fires. Now, what causes the most, the larger, most devastating fires in our historical records, the top 20 fires, the number one cause out of all of them was power lines. So power lines are, are were a big one, definitely. Um, and that's probably why we work so hard to try to mitigate the problem. Um, but people want to live here. They have a life. They have their homes. They want their comforts, their creature comforts, um, air conditioning on a hot day, you know. Uh, and some people, it's a medical necessity. They've got medical equipment at home that they absolutely have to have. Um, so there's there's those challenges. But um, ultimately, yeah, that's probably the big one that causes the larger, more devastating fires. What should people expect? You mentioned a second ago, there's not a fire truck for every house. Uh, what 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 should someone's expectation be? How can we, the people, understand uh, the role of CAL FIRE and of firefighters? And there's been a lot of, obviously, there's a lot of appreciation. We love you. We're so grateful and thankful to all the work you do. But, but, but yes, there is this expectation of, well, why can't you save everything? Talk a little bit about what people can expect or should expect. It's not just CAL FIRE that's fighting the fires. We work with law enforcement. We work with um, local government agencies, all kinds of people to, to do things. Um, one of the biggest things is, is people want the fire department to come around and tell them when to evacuate. We don't really do that. 
Um, we're too busy usually trying to fight the fire. Although, you know, in recent years, we've seen some fires that we've had to help, but it's usually law enforcement that does that. So if the law enforcement is coming around and telling you to evacuate, listen to them. They're, they're doing it based on what we're telling them is probably going to happen. So um, that's probably one of the biggest things that we struggle with is people not understanding that uh, just because the firefighter didn't say it, the cops did, and you need to listen to them. This year, as far as fire season goes, like I said, it's already ramping up to be a busy one. So people can expect to see evacuations and, and probably power shutoffs um, coming up in the next few months. When you talk about if someone tells you to evacuate, evacuate. When I was up in Santa Rosa in 2017, we got the evacuation notice from a digital you know, notice. And my mother-in-law, you know, first she didn't want to evacuate, but then she went and she wanted to warn the neighborhood, which was lovely and wonderful. Um, and I'm so, and we're so thankful she did that. She's so kind, but, but also, you know, in the, in the, in the moment of delay, all of a sudden the streets were full, you know? And so evacuation isn't just driving out of your driveway and going away. It's this, it was this long traffic filled road to, for an hour to go a mile, you know, and, and so there, there are also these considerations of, of moving large amounts of people and animals. And so even though it doesn't feel like anything's happening right this moment to move. Yeah, we saw that uh, on the, the campfire when that happened, um, because there was, you know, there's, I believe it was three main arteries out of the town of Paradise. And even though they did the evacuation warnings early, and Butte County had a plan in place, they'd actually practiced it. Um, even though, unfortunately, you know, we saw more than 80 people killed in that fire, uh, it definitely could have been a lot worse. So uh, people practicing their escapes and then practicing their escape routes and knowing which way to go, uh, knowing alternative routes in case one of their routes gets blocked. It's, it's knowing your area, knowing where you live and knowing how to get out um, and what to do if you can't. So um, there's kind of all those things that people need to think about now um, and don't wait about it. Definitely, we all can do our part and we all should do our part. What do you need from, let's start with businesses and organizations. What do you need from businesses and organizations as you face down this drought-filled, dry, potentially busy and, and active fire season? What do you need from, from businesses and organizations? How can they help? The best thing they can do is support their local community you know, depending on what kind of business you have. If you have a landscaping business, maybe find some senior citizens that need some help with cleaning up their lawns or people that are less fortunate than others that need some help to get their homes ready, that sort of thing. Um, community planning uh, is, is just a tremendous thing and using businesses and the people there, the local uh, council members, that sort of thing. That's probably the best thing that they can do. And what about us? What about all of the people who live in California? What do you need from us? You need to learn about California, especially if you're new to California, you need to learn and understand um, what we deal with here every year. Uh, and if you've been here forever, um, you probably already know, you've already seen it. The news is inundated every year when we see these, these large fires and you just seems to always be in your face, unfortunately. So always heed the warnings of firefighters and law enforcement. Make sure you listen to them um, when they tell you to get out. Uh, make sure you're prepared. People think, oh, it's not going to happen to me. It, it could. It happened to me. Um, I woke up one night and I had a fire coming towards my house and I had to go to work. And instead, I left my, my husband and kids at home and everything worked out fine. But you just never know. It, it can happen to anybody. Um, so be prepared. Uh, look up the readyforwildfire.org website. Um, study it, get to know it, and uh, learn from it and use our checklist. That's that's a huge thing. And uh, always keep alert, keep an eye out to, uh, on your news um, 
and any alert systems you might have for getting uh, notifications of fires. Absolutely. And I think each county has its own notification system, yes? Yes. They each use something a little bit different. But if you go to your county websites uh, and look for a place where you can sign up for emergency alerts, uh, go on there, click on that, fill that out, get the information in there you need. If you need to put in um, another relative's phone number, you know, maybe you've got somebody that lives somewhere else that will get the notification too. They know what's going on in your area too. So you can you can sign up for more than um, just one person and more than one area, uh, depending on where your family's at. Go to readyforwildfire.org. Go to your county's website to sign up for alerts and have a plan and take care of your houses so that firefighters don't have to do that for you. Exactly. Um, <laughs> yes. Is there anything you'd like to say that I didn't ask that you think it's important for people to know? We appreciate the people in California. They've always been extremely supportive of us. It's funny because we get people trying to bring us treats at our base camps and that sort of thing. And it's just, it is so cool. We love to see that. We love to see the support. Um, and we like to see uh, neighbors helping neighbors and people helping each other out, especially uh, in times uh, like we've seen over the past few years with with people losing their homes losing family members so we definitely appreciate that you are amazing and we all do very much appreciate and are grateful for the work you do and um and i appreciate you taking the time with me today absolutely thank you so much for having me thank you to my guest lynn tolmachoff supervising deputy state fire marshal for the california department of forestry and fire protection or cal fire to learn more about how you can prepare for fire and to get tips and a checklist to get the prep done, go to readyforwildfire.org. Music in this episode includes Spring Fling by Track Tribe and The Heist by Silent Partner. In addition to hearing news in context every Friday at 8.30 a.m. and 6.30 p.m. on KSFP 102.5 in San Francisco, you can hear it on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, iHeartMedia, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Podbean, YouTube, and PRX. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at News in Context SF and on Instagram at News in Context. And you can find links to all of that at newsincontext.net. I'm Gina Valeria. Thank you for listening.